Hello, welcome back to Meaningless Problems, the short story podcast with me, Doe Wilman. I'm delighted to say that this week's story is performed by Dot Major. Dot is a multi-award winning musician, best known for being one third of the band London Grammar, whose albums have been number one in the UK charts and across the world. Dot has also just embarked on a solo career in electronic music, and here he is performing a meaningless problem. This one is called Why You'll Never Be Dead. Takeoff was delayed so they could get a coffin into the hold. And the whole time we're sitting there, this guy next to me is having some kind of meltdown. Must be at least 20 years older than me. Overweight, pockmarked skin, sweating like a water feature, rocking back and forth. His breathing's louder than the plane's propellers. And he's pushing his hands into his crotch as though he's about to wet himself. I have a quiet word with the flight attendant. She says all the other seats are taken. I say, what about first class? She says I'll have to pay more. I say, come on, look at the guy. You can't expect me to sit next to that for seven hours. You've got to bump me up. She says she can't do it. Either I pay the price of my ticket again or I'm stuck with him. So I sit back down. I tell him I'm an electrician and I know for a fact you're more likely to be killed by an exploding refrigerator than die on a plane. Honestly, I say it's statistically proven. Planes are safer than fridges. He nods in agreement and he seems to loosen up. It's not true about fridges, I just made that up. But my uncle always says fiction is glue. It's what makes the truth stick. This guy asks me if I ever get scared. I say no. But that's because I don't believe in death. And at this point I'm pretty sure he regrets sitting next to me. After we've taken off... His whole demeanour changes. He pesters the flight attendant for a couple of their cheapest whiskies. He puts his chair back. He stretches his legs as much as it's possible and lets the outer reaches of his left-hand side drift over onto my territory. I've got a bit of shoulder, a bit of leg, a bit of loin. If a butcher's blade fell between our two seats, I'd have enough meat for a charcuterie. I ask him what's waiting for him on the other side. You know, if we make it. He pulls a face like he's just tasted the whiskey. He says, mundanity, boredom, emptiness. He tells me he's just been over in New York for a production of one of his plays. Off-Broadway, but still a decent-sized theatre. A comedy, I think. Something to do with hairdressing. It didn't go well, I ask. He says, no, it went wonderfully. But he tells me he's waited his whole life for a break like this, and now AI's going to take his place. Maybe not straight away, he says, but within a few years. And he says there's nothing wrong with living a mundane life, but for him he's always used it as an inspiration for his work. If my life can't inspire my writing, he says, I'm not too sure what the point of it is. He says it's okay for me, being a tradesman. I've got a job the robots aren't much interested in replacing. I said it sure seemed like your life had a point earlier when we were taking off. You were clinging to that armrest like it was a life raft. He shrugs. I ask him if he's married. He is. Kids? One small boy, five years old. We don't speak for another few hours. I nip off to take a piss. And when I get back, he says, What do you mean you don't believe in death? 
I'm not sure what he's talking about, but it reminds me it was something I said earlier. Oh yeah, I say, there are five reasons why you'll never be dead. So I tell him, when I first met my uncle, the only piece of information I had about him was his profession. And I was six. I didn't know what a plumber was. So by the end of the trip, I thought it was some kind of magician. He was showing me card tricks, pulling ping pong balls out of my ears. And this was in the church for my grandfather's funeral just before they carried in the coffin. But years later, he explained it to me. These five reasons. And I understood why he wasn't sad to bury his old man. The guy next to me doesn't say anything, so I'm not sure if I should go on. But then finally he says, would you care to share them? And I can't tell if he's being rude or polite. Number one, I say, we could be living in an infinite universe where everything that can exist once will exist an infinite number of times and in an infinite number of ways. So if this plane blows up, there's an infinite number of worlds where it doesn't. And there are infinite versions of you living infinite versions of your life. And no matter how many times you die, you keep coming back and back and back. So this plane blown up here is no more relevant in the bigger picture of who you are than a stage play that does or doesn't get put on at an off-Broadway theatre. He gestures to the flight attendant for another whiskey. Doesn't offer me one. Number two, eternalism. When you're in New York, London still exists, right? Well, some physicists think 2001 still exists too, and 1605. They think every moment exists forever. Maybe, I tell him, maybe you're still writing that play about hairdressing as we speak. He takes the whiskey, pours it, shuffles about in his chair. I don't think he's listening, but I carry on. Reason number three, I say, is maybe the essence of you. The thing that persisted from when you were a baby right up until now, despite all the changes that have taken place, from schoolboy to husband to father to playwright, maybe the witnesser or the doer, the self, whatever you want to call it, maybe it never existed. The plane starts to shake. Then it drops. It drops again. He clings to his armrest and I find myself clinging to his arm. Maybe... I say, looking directly into his eyes. Maybe you were only ever one sensation giving way to another, and you'll die no more with your final breath than with every breath you ever took. Maybe you and me. Maybe we only exist for the length of this sentence. And maybe memory is like cement, making walls out of bricks that have never met. The plane drops twice more. The seatbelt sign flashes on. It drops again. A long drop this time, and you can feel everyone taking a collective breath. But it stabilises. It's okay. We're okay. The seatbelt sign switches off. Excuse me, he says, trying to unbuckle his seatbelt with his sweaty fingers. I say, you haven't heard number four or number five? He says what he needs right now is a number two. I tell him not to use the cubicle I was just in. He says, why, something wrong with the electrics in there? I say no, it's where I left the bomb. He smiles, he goes to lift himself up. I put my hand on his shoulder and I sit him back down. He breathes heavily, the sweat from his forehead is running into his eyes. He squints, you want to hear number four? He says he wants to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I can't let you do that. And if you scream, I'll set it off straight away. 
As it is, the time is set for seven hours. If the plane gets back on time, it should explode on the runway once we're all safely disembarked. It might get one or two of the cleaning staff, but otherwise... But it was delayed, he says. They had to get the coffin on and, and, and the plane didn't... Uh... Oh yeah, I say. Maybe the pilot will make up the lost time. But either way, it doesn't really matter because we'll never be dead. You're serious, aren't you? You, you, you want to hear number four? I tell him anyway. I say, in number four, the essence of you, the thing that persists throughout your whole life, it does exist. Stop it, he says. Stop talking. But this essence persists throughout my life too, and throughout everyone else's. The consciousness that's experiencing what I'm saying right now, that's experiencing the sweat on your forehead and the fear gripping your entire body, it's not your consciousness, it's the universe's. So the death of one person, or the death of a plane load, is just the universe changing jobs or outfits. Consciousness is like electricity. It flows through a toaster, an aeroplane, or an explosive. But the electricity itself is exactly the same. It's a playwright, it's a husband, it's a father. It changes, but it never changes. When we die, this consciousness carries on without us. We carry on without us. He nods, he squints. He squeezes his crotch with both of his hands. Shh, I say. Let me tell you number five. It's the one I'm least convinced by, but most people seem to like it the best. You can't be dead, can you? Because without life, there's no being. So dead is something it's impossible to be. If this plane blows up, you won't be dead. You can't be something that isn't. Even if it's just a one-off world where everything happens once and turns to sand, it's always now. For each person, it's always now. If all we get is one life or even one hour, then that, by definition, is eternity. You can't be outside the only thing that is. Once, when you really think about it, is the same as forever. If this is all you ever are, then this is all you ever are. I leap to my feet just in time to avoid the dribble of urine as it spreads into my seat. The guy's crying, sweating, breathing heavier than anything you've ever heard. This piss is spilling onto the floor. Hey, 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 I say quietly as I can. I'm only messing around. There's no bomb in the cubicle. There's no bomb on this plane. Flying's less dangerous than a refrigerator, remember? The flight attendant comes rushing over. She sees what's happened. And she upgrades me to first class. How about that? Before I leave, I have one last thing I need to say to him. I say, hey, you got a wife and kid, right? That ain't boredom. That ain't mundanity. I tell him last week my wife died in childbirth. I lost the kid too. That's their coffin we're carrying with us. Even today, giving birth's a hell of a lot more dangerous than getting a flight. So don't give me no shit about boredom or mundanity or being replaced by a robot. Forget the stories you're writing down, I say. Focus on the one you're living. Now he's whimpering again. He's rocking, he's shivering. But when we land, you know he's going to go home and squeeze that wife and kid of his tighter than he ever has before. I settle down in first class. Stretch myself out. Get three servings of the good whiskey and reflect on a job well done. I was lying about the refrigerators, I was lying about the bomb, and I was lying about my wife and kid. But as my uncle says, fiction is glue, it's what makes the truth stick. 
That was Why You'll Never Be Dead, written by Doe Willman, performed by Dot Major. Thanks very much to Dot for uh, performing that one, and thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed it, don't forget to follow or subscribe to the podcast. You'll get a brand new story every single Sunday for at least a year. And if you're you're behind with some of the other episodes that have gone up, uh, do feel free to check those out as well. Um, and uh, I'll see you here for the next one. Thank you. <laughs>